This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Turning a New Leaf, where we discuss the changing face of Canada as it prepares to legalize and regulate recreational marijuana across the country. Turning a New Leaf is produced by the Village Soundcast Network, and I'm your host, Sean King. Enjoy. All right. Today, we're welcoming Rick Dunlop to the show. Rick is a partner at Stuart McKelvey. And from what I understand, uh, Rick is in the labor and employment group at that firm in Halifax and assists employers with all workplace issues and focuses on the issues associated, in this case, with cannabis legalization. So he's written many articles and continues to give presentations and educational sessions regarding that topic. So I'm trying to imagine, Rick, first of all, welcome. Oh, thank you. I'm trying to imagine when you got your law degree... If that you were sitting back someday going, oh man, I can't wait till that day we're sitting around talking about cannabis. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you ever imagine that was going to happen? Well, actually, um, early in my career, uh, I was involved in a in a case involving cannabis. Oh, really? Yeah, because um, the uh, I mean, we all know uh, cannabis has been around for a long time. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and we also know that employers. Uh, have an obligation to provide a safe workplace and expect that their employees will uh, be fit and able to engage in productive work. And we also know that employers, um, uh, even before legalization and for probably, I don't know, the last 20 or 30 years have uh, wanted to and have engaged in uh, drug and alcohol testing. Right. And so, uh, and we also know that uh, addictions to such things as uh, uh, cannabis and, and other drugs um, are uh, disabilities under human rights legislation. Right. So whenever uh, employers um, want to take a disciplinary action up to including termination of employment as a result of uh, employees uh, being impaired at work, um, then obviously some litigation will ensue and the employees will challenge that on on various grounds. Right. So that actually happened um, quite early in my career, and as a as a management side labor and employment lawyer, you're you're always dealing with um, uh, uh, situations where employees are uh, um, are coming to work maybe not in the best position to right. in fact work in a safe and, and productive way, and inevitably employers want to address that because they have a obligation to have a safe workplace mm-hmm. and. Furthermore, um, they obviously want, you know, productive work right. as well, even in the non-safety-sensitive context. So it's always been around. And, you know, I've, you go to conferences and, and one senior lawyer says, you know, because all these, um, all, all his clients were saying, oh, gee, you know, what are we going to do about marijuana, you know, legalization? Right. And... And how, like how long ago would this be? Well, this was... Last year. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. so all, all employers are, you know, raising arms. And he said, Well, what are you doing about your other drug problems? Right, right. Your your uh, your prescription medicine problem mm-hmm. because Or alcohol or, or, or yeah. yeah. Yeah, alcohol is um that one's always around. But yeah. but you know, we we talk a lot about, you know, cannabis and legalization, but let's remember there's also a lot of um 
prescribed medications that are that are problematic and and employees uh, probably shouldn't be at work if they're under the influence of those drugs as well, right. which raises lots of issues. Yeah. So you find yourself now in this position where would you consider yourself like a specialist in this uh, field as it relates to cannabis? I'm imagining that at some point, likely within the last couple of years, you made a concerted effort to you know, really ramp up the knowledge in this space related to cannabis. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Yeah. No, no question that it, you know, we saw it on the horizon mm -hmm. and we made the assessment that, um, you know, as generally, you know, when, when there's societal change, um, and, and I, I think I, I think we could fairly characterize this as a societal change and legalization of, of marijuana that, you know, generally, the workplace is not sort of this little box, box yeah. because we the employment relationship is is a unique one. It's not a it's not a commercial it's not a, a commercial relationship, right. yeah. although it has a commercial aspect. Um, uh, employers are expected to um, you know accommodate to the point of undue hardship, and inevitably, sort of you know what happens outside of the workplace often will have an impact at what goes on right. in the workplace. Sure. And so when that happens and if, you know, with with legalization we can anticipate that the there will be an increase in, in use of marijuana and 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 some workplaces inevitably will be impacted and other workplaces may not be so impacted. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the whenever I I speak at at these things and I think it was reflected in my article, I think employers want to ensure that they they assess the workplace and the risk because right. every workplace is going to be different mm -hmm. and to think that there's one size fits all approach um, I think would probably not be uh, the uh, the appropriate way to, to mm -hmm. look at it so do you get involved in helping any employer so I have an employer and I say like you know I really think I need to have a a policy in place now for cannabis in the workplace. Do you consult with them on how to put that policy in place or sort of where, how do you get involved? Is it normally if there's a problem or are you helping prevent problems in the first place? Well, look, the best, um, you know, it, and clients are always in a better position if you talk to me before you do something that's <laughs> supposed to after. Um, this is true. <laughs> I think you're going to make a lawyer joke, but it's always cheaper if you talk before than you, after. Oh, yeah, right. You're uh, not billing me for yeah. this, right? No, no. <laughs> that's the lawyer joke right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so there's no there's no question that um, how how I I believe, you know, I can help and 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 management side lawyers uh, particularly in my firm um, can can assist is with respect to you know, the first, I think the first step is, is the policy. Right. And, and I think one of the, sometimes employers, um, because, you know, God love the internet and it's a great resource, but sometimes employers think, oh, gee, you know, if I'm, there's a policy, I'll just print it print off, off and, yeah, and put my name on it and uh, off we go. Right. That's our policy. And that's not okay? Uh, well, no. <laughs> Because the, the problem is, is I suspect that the policy probably is not reflective of the issues that, that are going to arise right. in, in the workplace. So if you have a really safety-sensitive workplace right. and you've instituted a, 
a policy that um, that you know applies to an office context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not going to be um, very satisfactory. Mm-hmm. And if you are in a in a non safety sensitive context and you don't want to go down the um, drug and alcohol testing road which there's no question that that is a road which you can't just do haphazard. You can't right. say, oh, gee, you know what? Today, I think I'm going to... Random drug tr- tests. I think yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, I think I'm going <laughs> to engage in drug and alcohol yeah. testing today. Yeah. Um, you do need a policy that that is, that's tailored um, and has very specific rules right. and regulations around drug and alcohol testing. Because if you, if you just go into it sort of willy-nilly, yeah. haphazard, then that's where you will probably um, get some some litigation. Create some problems. And and also too, um, you need you need other experts. You need other experts who because I'm not gonna do the the testing. Right. Um, I'm not a scientist by any stretch. Uh, so you'll need uh, an employer will need to contract with um uh an expert who mm-hmm. actually tests. Right. And often in, in these testing circumstances, you need, that needs to happen, you know, quick. Um, yeah. And you need them to come pretty quickly because right. if they don't come quickly, then. The results you mean. Yeah. 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 So can you, um, again, as an employer, I, I guess, I mean, and this, I honestly don't know, this is actually kind of the good stuff, but if, if as an employer, can you, do you have to have a reason to believe, like what would be the grounds for going, you know what, I think I'm going to administer a drug test on somebody. I mean, assuming right. that you have a policy that maybe outlines that, right? but even in creating that policy, I'm assuming that there would need to be some parameters around the motivation behind the test in the first place. No, that's, that's a good point. So, so there's generally, um, the question is to when you can when you can drug an alcohol test. Yeah. So, um, drug and alcohol testing the law. And when I say the law, I'm talking generally about you know jurisprudence, written decisions. Sure. Yeah. And where a lot of our law in this in this topic is in the unionized context. Right. Because um, unions have. The, the resources as a general proposition. Yeah, sure. And I'm probably generalizing a little bit, but as a general proposition, unions um, have, a, have had a tendency to organize in sort of um, manufacturing or mining or those more safety-sensitive work mm-hmm. environments where testing is more inclined to happen. So there's a lot of law that's right. been created by arbitrators who are essentially appointed by the union and employer yeah. um, who will write decisions and, you know, quite in-depth decisions and created a lot of law on this. So, um, so with that background, uh, the, the, the general, as a, the arbitrators have generally said, well, look, um, you can test for reasonable cause. Mm-hmm. Now, which has to be defined, right? Yeah, and, and I'll get into that. So that's yeah. <laughs> number one, reasonable cause, and then number two is um, the other, the, the second kind of testing is random testing. Now, random testing is more complicated and more controversial from yeah. from a from a legal perspective, and then there's post incident 
testing, okay. which isn't that controversial. Yeah. If something really bad happens on a workplace, um, then as a general proposition, you can test the individuals yeah. who may have been um, in the area. Now, sometimes unions will say, well, gee, you know, how can you test that employee? He or she had no involvement and, you know, you're just going out of your way to test. Um, using it as, so that, as an excuse, yeah. maybe. Right, using yeah. it as an excuse. <clears throat> But those cases are probably less, um, uh, they happen less than the reasonable cause cases. Sure. And the reasonable cause cases are, uh, are quite, uh, are, are, are the most common. And with respect to marijuana, they're probably the most complicated because how you tell if someone's impaired by marijuana is, is complicated and nuanced yeah. and it's, and and it's not as simple as saying, gee, your eyes look bloodshot. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to test you. Right. And so, um, you know, I give a lot of presentations and I have, you know, a, a slide sort of outlining all the, the various um, signs per se. But I always make absolutely clear to clients, and I think this is where, you know, this is, this is uh, an important um, element of, uh, of, I'll say, a a response to an employer response to uh, uh, cannabis legalization is having sophisticated training on mm -hmm. being able to assess whether or not someone is actually impaired right. by marijuana. So, <clears throat> so in those, so, so there's reasonable cause um, and then there's random and random. The Supreme court of Canada has said pretty definitively um, when the Supreme Court of Canada says something, it's generally pretty definitive. <laughs> yeah. um, I can't imagine they're just making some stuff yeah. up, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> their their view is is that um, uh, random testing generally can only occur in a safety sensitive work environment, and if there is actually a problem, a general problem right. in the workplace with with drugs and alcohol, because one of the arbitrators. Um, are concerned about the human rights and privacy sure. aspect yeah. and how employers shouldn't be able to just say, gee, you know, I feel like testing today. Um, so those are the circumstances in mm -hmm. which you can, you can test. Um, so what's, what's stopping, um, almost a two-part question yeah. here, but, but, you know, I'm imagining, you know, employers everywhere at this point, this is a big subject. This is on their minds going, what do we do about this? But, What's stopping them from having those policies in place now? I, I mean, I know it's going to be legal. So the argument is, well, you know, people can buy it and therefore there's going to be more people that have it, et cetera. But for argument's sake, I'm guessing there's a percentage of people that are using and and they may or may not be using in the workplace. We we might we might not know that. I mean, I I, I don't know what the question here is really. It's just I'm I'm just more curious about could there be drug policies in place now? There was like legalization seems to be the catalyst for why workplaces now need to do it, but they could have had that in place already. I know workplaces that have alcohol in the building need to have a, an alcohol policy. Right. Um, but it just seems like it's been kind of quiet under the rug. And now that it's legal, oh, we, we got to pay attention to this. And so when one part of me thinks, well, this is actually a good thing because it may have already been happening. Um, but I just kind of wonder why they wouldn't have had these policies in place in the first place? Yeah, well, a lot of a lot of employers do. 
who want to do drug and alcohol testing. Uh, you know, as so I said, unions, yeah, yeah. So in, often in unionized workplaces, but not just unionized workplaces, often um, non-unionized workplaces as well. There's a drug and alcohol policy, right? Um, that is a sort of term of of the employment, and uh, and uh, and so those policies exist, and 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 I would say, you know, most employers should have one now. What what those policies often say are such things as they'll use terms such as illicit drugs and illicit they'll define illicit drugs as cannabis or marijuana right and we know that after well i guess it's not july 1st anymore it could be yeah. apparently sometime in july sometime <laughs> in july or august or who knows um mm -hmm. it will be legal and then therefore um those those uh those definitions will no longer um, right. uh, be uh, that that relevant. So, so, oh, so that's a good point. So yeah. the definitions kind of need to change. So the definitions need to to change. And 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 again, you know, we we often you know management side labor employment lawyers I think too often say, "Gee, you should have a policy." We seem to have a policy on everything, um, but the policy is only as good as. If it's relevant to the workplace, right, and if right. it's relevant, obviously it has to be uh, and current with the law and the issues. And you mm -hmm. know, I would think that employers would want to, you know, on a relatively consistent basis, um, want to review their policies in any event. But obviously, right now is a good time in preparation for the legalization. Mm. Uh, to pull it away from the workplace for a minute. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to throw some questions, and maybe you don't have the answers to these, but that's that's okay. I've got a lawyer here, and I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, you know, we've all heard, I think one of the biggest concerns about legalization, at least certainly in the circles of people that I've been talking to, is is impaired driving. And I've heard a lot about the potential testing, and they're trying to create the laws now and how to, how to manage that. What do you know about where we're at with that? I mean, I've heard that there's the saliva testing, um, but I don't know much more beyond that and, and where it's at. Yeah. I got to so, imagine the police are under a crazy amount of pressure right now. Yeah, the police are are under a lot of pressure. And and one of the issues is this. We know, and, and I'll try and bring it, I'll try and answer your question by referring to the workplace. Because <laughs> that is my I'm trying area. to get you out of there. Yeah, no, no, I recognize that. <laughs> uh, so I guess first off is this. Um, we know that with respect to, to, to marijuana, um, saliva-based testing is, is the, the, uh, I hesitate to use the word gold standard or the phrase gold standard, but it's know, the standard. It's, it's, it's the standard yeah. because for a few reasons, number one, it's not very invasive. Right. You, you take a swab, a, a swab yeah. and you put it in your mouth yeah. and it, and 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 that's it. Where you go? And actually, in a TTC case, because the TTC union, um, they challenged it, and it went to court in April of last year. And the judge said, "Look, this isn't privacy invasive. There's no privacy interest here." The judge said it was okay. Anyway. Oh wow. So in the saliva, the problem though with the saliva test is this, and it's a workplace problem and a criminal law problem, is that it needs to go to a lab. Oh, right. And it takes a while. The time it takes, yeah. So it's a workplace problem in this sense that you have, um, 
you have this saliva test and you have this employee who's taken the test who you think shouldn't be at work. Um, and then it takes a week or two and, and until you get the results back. Mm-hmm. And you're nervous about putting them back into work because you say that they're right. they're impaired, so they're off work. Now, so now we're in the you're on the the driver right. on the on side the of the road, yeah. and you're being tested by tested by the police officer. <clears throat> and we know that you know you Takes can't say, "Gee, yeah. let's <laughs> let's send it off to yeah. the lab." Yeah. So so there's and and my understanding the read the reading of the literature I've done is there's there's lots of roadside tests out there, but no one's convinced that they're actually, they can instantaneously right. demonstrate impairment. Yeah. Now, I did watch that. I think you referred the National. Yeah, that's right. And I watched the Fifth Estate, which I'm not sure if the National was just a sort of a, a slimmed down version of what was on the Fifth oh, Estate. Oh, maybe, yeah. And the Fifth Estate, the, the section I looked at, focused really on the sort of the the classic sort of what you think of the are you drunk test you know yeah walk you know walk a straight yeah line, yeah that's the same one put a put a light in your eyes yeah you know are you impaired yeah and they had that horrible well maybe that's overstating a bit but they had that story about <laughs> that that woman who was sideswiped by a car, by a truck or something and and she couldn't pass the test because number one she had a concussion and she had oh yeah she, her legs were um, yeah. were injured so presumably it would be difficult to pass that test mm. and those tests i think you know it's pretty sure, clear that those are those are problematic and so I, yeah. just just for context the story was about the the process by which the police force was testing people on the side of the road, and right. I think that the 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 um, the gray area in that discussion was around how much opinion was being used to make those decisions, and uh, the story I saw, I think it was the National, they had a a guy, I forget his name, and I probably should have remembered it, but he was a guy that was trained. Uh, somehow to be able to recognize, you know, this is different than, you know, someone with their legs hurting. Um, but they were, they were discussing the margin of error there. So you convict somebody who, you know, this woman had bad legs. She was freaking out because she just got in an accident and they're going, you know, she's clearly impaired. We should test her. And then the question was, well, where's that line? It's something I did want to want to ask you about because if it's left to judgment, how, like, how do you know? I don't know how right. you know. Right. And that, and that, that's a that's a massive that's the issue. problem. Yeah, and and I and what I took from that well, number one, it, it, um, to do a what I understand to be a thorough job, yeah, of assessment, yeah, it takes an hour. Oh wow, yeah, that's what I took from that. Yeah, uh, they had to do a whole list of tests, right. and yeah, so that's that's problematic. Number two is um, it appears that they can even get it wrong. Yeah, and that's why the um, that's why you do need, um, uh, I'll say, for lack of a better word, a scientific objective test, right? That demonstrates impairment, and I, and I know that, um, and it's funny, the more you go to these these presentations, and the more doctors you hear, the more you realize the wide variety of debate on this yeah. issue. Yeah, because some doctors are saying, "Look, you know, if you if you consume marijuana, um, you shouldn't be doing any safety sensitive work because yeah. 
even whatever the test says, you'll still be impaired. Right. The courts aren't quite, the courts and arbitrators aren't there yet. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't imagine that any union or, or, uh, or employee would say, yeah, gee, you, you can, uh, you can terminate me for just cause on the basis that we, you know, we did this assessment. We made you walk the straight, walk the line. We right. made you say the alphabet backwards. We may, you know, we shine the, the <laughs> Which eye. I don't know if I can do that sober, by the way. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> we shined a light in your eyes and uh, we think you're impaired. Yeah. And, and I cannot see, and I can't imagine how that would ever be justified. So there has to be yeah. a per se test yeah. or per se standard something to something to say yeah. this you're impaired yeah and and if you're you know if you if if the swab is is beyond this level yeah um then then you're impaired and i because you know otherwise as we saw from that uh, the national or the the fifth estate uh, yeah. um <clears throat> uh, piece it it would be very difficult to um to to adjudicate on a on an objective basis yeah and i wonder about that uh you know again i've shared a lot of conversations and debates about this one you know people who say well how are they going to draw the line you know it because i can do it and i'm not impaired but if you do you know you smoke one little bit and you're wasted you know right so I, I kind of imagine it must be like alcohol. Like, you know, there's a line that was drawn in the sand for alcohol. And that line may be impairment for some. It may not seem to be impairment for others. So is I guess that's going to be the same thing that happens with, with marijuana at some point. Right. I No, exactly. And that was the, the one point I, I wanted to raise is that, yeah. um, I mean, you, you do hear people say, "Oh, gee, yeah, I blew over," but I could, I wasn't impaired. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't is, drunk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is hard to believe, but it's a tolerance question, I guess, right. to some it's degree. A, but is it? But is, it is a tolerance question, and and I think what the what the federal report that came out, I think it was December two thousand sixteen, made absolutely clear. Look, there has to be a per se standard. Right. If we don't have a per se standard. It, everything's going to be on a case by case basis. Yeah. And it will, it will be just unwieldy Chaos. how how to yeah. how to um how to litigate these mm -hmm. things and you know one person will be convicted you know on seemingly on the same evidence that someone else will be be uh not convicted and 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 I guess a similar principle someone will be terminated if there wasn't testing and there wasn't a a, a standard objective standard right then that would be a that would be a problem so here's a big one uh, well, I think it's a big one. Yeah. Maybe it's not that big one, <laughs> that big of one. So prior convictions, starting to hear a little bit about this now in the news media about people that have had convictions before, particularly in the U.S., and now what's going to happen now that the drug is legal. Yeah. And I think I've heard variations on people, their, their convictions are being wiped. I've read that it was going to be case-by-case -case basis. What do you think about what might be happening there? Yeah. I'll confess that's that's an issue I haven't put a lot of thought to. Yeah. Um, I, I suspect that there would there's some logic to um, the fact that is now now legal um, to wiping out those convictions, and I guess to a certain extent, someone would be um, someone would who has a conviction for 
the possession of or possession or, or whatever yeah. related to THC, they probably it would make sense for them to to go see a, a counsel who specialize legal counsel who specializes in uh, pardons because there is legislation right. uh, providing for pardons, and that I could see that the Trudeau government, in light of that, would be maybe changing that law mm-hmm. to reflect the change. Um, but but you're quite right that if uh, you know someone who's been recently or or has a a stale conviction for um, uh, cannabis possession, um, and now it's legal, then uh, you could see that may be a problem for them, and yeah. they should address it. And I I I would think that that's something that uh, that uh, the federal liberals are are thinking about. And 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 you know. The, the thing about this topic is you I know that you know legalization I'm not necessarily against it or for it um, I was gonna ask you that by the way yeah no I know <laughs> that was probably the toughest question you're gonna ask me. Um, but there's no question that you know every day so, gee thought about that like for yeah. example landlords you know yeah now so you know presume I can only imagine that growing marijuana in a in an apartment yeah is not necessarily a great thing for the apartment right yeah. <laughs> so so can landlords say gee you can't do that anymore right even though it's it's legal You're technically and i allowed, i would think yeah. that they would be able to yeah but that's something that the that that you know should be should be explicit yeah um and and I think one of the one of the problems with legalization was this, and and I think one of the, one of the issues I have with it was that I understand, you know, the, the view was well, gee, you know, everyone's smoking it, and um, obviously I'm somewhat overstating myself. Exaggerating to make a but, point. Understand? But yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, occupational hazard. I don't like to overstate anything. <laughs> um, so so everyone, you know. Uh, people are smoking it and 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 we know that and therefore we also know that maybe organized crime has too much of a a, a role oh, yeah. role in the distribution and, and say or the distribution and and uh, cultivation or however you want to call it yeah and uh, that that needs to be addressed so well let's legalize well the federal government has power over that but the provinces you know, generally regulate a lot. Yeah, right. And they're sort of left holding the bag. And and the workplace is, is one of them. 90% of the Canadian workplaces are, are governed by provincial legislation. Right. And there was one and a half pages dedicated to legalization of cannabis. Wow. Impact in that in that 106 page or 102 yeah, yeah. page report. Yeah. So there really wasn't a lot of, um, dare I say, Enough thought going into all sure. these issues. I, I, my take is that that's probably fair to say in general, mm-hmm. uh, because I think you know part of the reason we started even doing this was because there are so many areas that that haven't really been thought through and discussed and questions that people have. And I mean, the the more we dig, the deeper the hole gets. Do you know what I mean? It's right. almost like like the the conversations just continue to go on as we think about things we weren't thinking. Um, things like uh, laws and, and, and policies in the workplace. Um, do you think that it's a good thing, legalization and regulation? Yeah. Um, well, 
This is the I, one that gets you. Yeah. Is this, the- no, this, this is the one. That, this is the one that gets me because I, you know, um, I understand the policy rationale for doing it. Mm-hmm. My concern is, and and like most policy decisions, we probably won't know for five or ten yeah, years. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I'm not sure we will know. Yeah, and and I guess it will be, and I suspect you know some because the pro, you know. Different provinces will have different um, approaches, yeah. and it will probably take five or ten years to see. Oh, gee, one province, you know, yeah. may get it right or more right than others, mm-hmm. and then the other province say, "Gee, you know, they've got it. Let's do that. They, let's do that." Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> it will it will take time. And I guess the other impact, because I think, you know, you read all these studies and and they disagree on a lot of things. Sure, but it does appear that the real issue is with. Um, the impact on on young people and and their brains and their development. Yeah, and so it will be very interesting to see whether, in fact, youth use decreases. Yeah, because one of the one of the policy rationales for this cannabis act, mm-hmm. and there's some pretty you know harsh rules associated with you know selling to minors. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be interesting to see whether there's a reduction. Sure, and I think a lot of people are saying. We're not so convinced because, yeah. you know, um, if you can, you know, for example, Nova Scotia, you can go and apparently it's going to be sold at the liquor stores. At yeah. the liquor stores. Yeah. So, you know, presumably there's some young people out there maybe with some fake ID. Sure. So yeah. Will they be able to, you know, yeah. consume marijuana? So I think, you know, to a large extent, if legalization does result in the reduction of of youth use, mm-hmm. then maybe you can say, yeah, it's yeah. been a good thing. It's been a good thing. Yeah, it's funny. We, we uh, a, a few episodes back, we we spoke with uh, someone from Colorado where it's been legalized for, I think, three years at this point. And, you know, he spoke to some of the pros and cons of that whole process and, and you know, obviously economical benefits, uh, the job, um, unemployment rates declined and all of that sort of thing. He didn't have a lot of information on necessarily how it affected youth um, or or anything necessarily bad to say. And I guess I can understand that from his perspective, given where he was coming from. But, you know, I've obviously heard many opinions about this. And and I'm curious to see myself, you know, like I think that youth are already doing it. So that's already happening. And if anything... I think the, the the legalization has made has forced us all to talk about it, and yeah. and that can't be bad. I don't think so. I mean, I guess it remains to be seen, like you said, if it will actually reduce the amount of youth that are starting at younger ages. I was speaking with someone a while back who said, you know, the truth is we got to start talking to youth now at the ages of six and seven, eight years old, because by the time they're thirteen or fourteen, they've already made up their mind. Right. And and I think there's some truth to that, but it kind of blows my mind. You know, <laughs> yeah. From yeah. a personal perspective, I have five year old, so it does. Yeah, well, get ready. Somewhat disconcerting. <laughs> yeah. Mine's twenty one, <laughs> and, and I've had the conversation many times. I may have had it too late, but but uh, but I do think that that I mean, here we are talking about it um, and sharing this conversation with a lot of people, and I gotta think that that's helping something. Um, but I guess we'll see. Oh no, for sure. No, I agree. And and the educational component is is huge. I guess the one thing I'm surprised, and maybe I don't watch enough TV, but I haven't. I guess I haven't. I've seen, I've seen some, some advertisements about 
the the evils of of impaired driving and, mm-hmm. and smoking and or smoking marijuana and, and impaired driving, but I haven't seen any sort of educational. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'm just watching the wrong shows, but I haven't seen any educational shows on or any educational commercials on, you know, you shouldn't do this until you're 25 yeah. or whatever age. Oh, believe me, you're going to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All of those conversations are happening right now, um, and rightly so, I yep. think. But uh, fascinating time indeed. We'll see what happens, I guess, in uh, July. I mean, <laughs> July 1st was the day, and now we don't know. But, uh, Rick, I thank you for coming in. Uh, I, did, well, I had lots of questions. I probably have a lot more, but yeah. uh, I appreciate you coming by and carefully choosing to chat, chat with me about the topic. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay, for thank invite. you. So that was Rick. Uh, you know, I was kind of, I, w- I was looking forward to that chat with him. Um, you know, I, I did have questions and I, I think I asked most of them uh, from a lawyer's perspective. I mean, I completely underestimated the the detail and, and attention that needs to, be, needs to be given to everything that they speak about related to this topic, I suppose any topic. Um, so it was, it was interesting just to watch him think through his responses and, uh, and, and really wait for what he was going to say. Um, you know, I, I, his eyes lit up when we were talking about the age of kids and how old they should be when you have to talk to them. I didn't realize he had a five-year-old and, uh, so that was pretty funny. I, I like to think that he learned something from our, our chat as well. I really liked his thinking around, you know, let's see where we're at in four or five years. And particularly the idea that this is a brand new thing. And, you know, some provinces are going to get it right. Some are not going to get it right. And we're going to learn from that and hopefully adjust as we go. And it was a reminder to me of how big a deal this actually is what's about to happen and assuming that it does and all of the things that need to be considered and the patience maybe that would need to be required as we figure out how to get it right. Um, Again, you know, we talk to people who have been a part of a system, a legal system, particularly in the U.S. for a few years and how they're still navigating things. Um, I also really liked his, his, his thoughts on, you know, when I asked him if he thought it was a good idea He's holding out on that response, you know. It might be a good idea. It might not be, but time will tell, uh, you know, if we recognize that it is um, deterring youth from starting uh, using at a younger age, then maybe it is a good idea. And I thought that was a pretty good view to have of the whole thing is, is a wait and see and let's hope we navigate this properly and, and we'll go from there. So that was, uh, that was Rick Dunlop from, uh, from Stuart McKelvey. So stay tuned in a couple of weeks when we have uh, a pretty special guest joining the podcast. For some of you, this name won't need any more explanation, and maybe for some it will, but all it takes is a simple Google search to find out who Ross Rebliati is. Canadian Olympic snowboard champion, uh, dismissed of his medal temporarily for use of cannabis, Uh, And now uh, we'll get to hear the rest of the story. Ross is going to join us. And uh, this is fresh off of uh, a newly released short film on TSN about his life and how things have changed since that time at the Nagano Olympics 20 years ago. That's a couple of weeks. Ross Ribliotti on Turning a New Leaf. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 